Nice. Well, there's gonna be a test next week. That's our memory verses for, uh, for church next week. You can't, well, actually, we'll give you a donut hole if you quote the whole thing. So, um, good luck, all right? Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you uh, for your words that can uh, feel confusing and yet at the same time bring so much truth. So this morning we're asking that you would, would help us to understand what you have for us here. And it's in your name we pray, amen. Amen, thanks for being here this morning um, and enduring the storm, holy cow. That was a lot of rain coming down. So, yeah, glad you're here. I don't know. We, I think we probably have some issues with the lights. When you, when you can, we'll bring those up. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we're, we're getting close to uh, Christmas Eve, which is obviously this Friday. And so um, hope that you come out to Gallon House Farms uh, to enjoy that with us. Uh, that is going to be an awesome event. Uh, Christmas Eve, both 5 and 6.30 out at Gallon House Farms. Bundle up, but we'll have a ton of heaters out there. It's undercover. Um, but it is not a uh, indoor space per se, so undercover. Um, and uh, there is going to be some incredible music. That's going to be fantastic. We'll have a quick uh, gospel message. Um, and uh, yeah, hot cocoa, maybe some uh, treats uh, for, for everyone, but would love to have you out there. Uh, it's just a short drive. You go to you know places to look at lights and stuff like that. This would be an awesome opportunity with you and your family to come uh, hang out with uh, the church. It'll be a blast. Invite people that don't know Jesus, especially. Uh, secondly, is this is that we're going to two services beginning January 9th. Um, I know it doesn't necessarily look like we need it today, but uh, when we're not in the Christmas season, uh, things are, are moving along quickly. And so uh, January 9th, uh, we'll begin having two services, 9.15 and 11 a.m. We'd love to have you be a part of that. This is also an opportunity for those of you that are not serving yet, um, that, uh, that you, you could begin serving there. So whether it's uh, on Sunday morning, safety team, uh, kids ministry, uh, you know, uh, greeting, ushering, uh, all those things uh, need help. And so we'd love to have your help with that. This is also a big part of our vision for what we'd like to see happen with uh, children's ministry. By the way, we just got uh, most of all of the classrooms. Um, I think, uh, I can't even remember how many classrooms we have, but like four out of five or five out of six, something like that, just got painted. <laughs> I'm looking at my communications gal, and she has no idea. And so, um, in any case, so got all of that stuff painted over uh, this last week. Um, if you had been back there, uh, you may be wondering what took us so long, uh, but those things cost us money, and so we're happy to have that done. Well, we have some other things that we'd like to do there. And lastly, I would just say this, uh, continue to give. Uh, through the holiday season into January. A lot of times in January, uh, giving goes down. Uh, that is That hamstrings us in, in January a little bit, eats into our, our savings and, and so forth. And so if you could remember to give through January, if you call Outward Church your home, that would be so helpful. This isn't guilt. This isn't shame. This isn't anything like that. This is just like, if, you, if you're a part of Outward Church, we just invite you to be a part in that way. Uh, so if you have never began to give, if you have never uh, given before here at Outward Church, you can start. Uh, you can give in the giving boxes that are uh, by the exit doors here. There used to be one there, but there's definitely one there, and there's one there. There we go. Uh, you can give online at outwardchurch.com forward slash give. 
Um, and also, like, if you're somebody that's been coming here for some time and, like, you, you started giving uh, a while ago this particular amount, um, I encourage you to look at your giving and begin to look at, okay, what is 10% of what God has given me? How, am I, how, how has he blessed me and how am I giving back uh, to the church? Many of us are we're beginning our careers or we're, we're well into our careers. And so I just encourage you to give proportionally uh, towards what God has given you. Again, not a guilt uh, or shame type thing, but it is simply an encouragement and it would be so helpful to us as we start the new year here. So that's just a few things. So we're in this passage, which is obviously 33 verses, and uh, it's not easy to understand. In fact, it's, it's quite confusing uh, to, to really understand what it's saying. But you can also kind of get really mixed up in, in the middle of it and you can kind of look at it as though it's basically just talking about the end times and uh, it brings to remembrance uh, people who are constantly talking about how the end is near, repent, you know, think of the uh, street corner preacher guy on a um, you know, soapbox. I literally saw a guy, I think it was on a road trip with my family, on a soapbox of some sort, some type of a stool and like a three-piece suit, some little town I want to say in Montana or something like that. We drove by a couple of times just because I wanted to see this. Um, you know, he's saying repent, uh, the end is near, you know, that kind of thing. And I just didn't feel like that was going to be very helpful uh, for the people that aren't believing. And so many people can look at passages like this and just go, this kind of leads to fanaticism. This leads to uh, just kind of people being crazy. And so people outside the church and people inside the church are both skeptical of this. But I, I, I just got to tell you that like this understanding of the second coming of Christ the second advent, if you will, the first coming, which is what we're celebrating here very shortly uh, with uh, Christmas and at, during this season uh, was the first advent. Now we're, we're, today we're talking about the second advent. We're anticipating the return of Christ. And I would say this, that you cannot live a, a Christian life. You cannot live the Christian life and the way that Jesus is calling you to live it without a deep belief and hope in the second coming of Jesus, Jesus' return. And part of the reason for that is, is because there's this anticipation of uh, waiting for Jesus and longing for him and, and, and desiring him so much so that you're just saying, Lord Jesus, come, come, come and return and make everything right. There's this anticipation that should be there that oftentimes is not. And, and the reason it's not is because you and I live in a period of history that has experienced more wealth, uh, more relative peace, more uh, prosperity than perhaps any other time in history. And we've gotten to the point where, man, this seems pretty comfortable, so much so that even I myself uh, find myself thinking and believing that like, man, I don't, I don't want Jesus to return yet because I wanna see my, I don't wanna walk my daughters down the aisle. I want to see my, my boys and, and who they marry, and I want, to, I want to have advice for them, good advice for them, and s still lecture them for 20, 30 minutes 
while they're tapping their fingers. I, 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 want, to, I want to experience all that. I want to grow old with my wife. I, I want to see where everything goes. And really, the only reason why I can feel that way is because we've experienced this sense of wealth and prosperity, but there has never uh, really been a time in history where that has been the dominant uh, thing, the dominant feeling like it is today, I believe. If you were to look back into other times in, in history during slavery uh, and the Civil War, uh, during uh, the First and Second World Wars, during the, uh, uh, the Cold War, during, uh, you know, v Vietnam, uh, the Civil Rights Movement, um, all of this stuff. Like, these are, these are dangerous times. These are times that were, that were awful. I mean, historically, you can just look back through it and people just living lives of just trying to survive and every moment just going, what am I going to eat? Is the, is the snow going to kill my crop or what, whatever is going to happen? Kill my, um, my cattle and so I won't have anything. How will I survive? And so we don't really know a lot, of, a lot about that. But what we are seeing glimpses of is this, is immense fear immense fighting, anger in our streets, in our churches as well, as uh, politically motivated uh, conversations happened in our churches. I've read two different stories of two prominent, uh, well-known uh, preachers in our nation that are having major fallout in their churches. I have many friends who are pastors who are being uh, criticized uh, deeply because they uh, encourage folks to continue to love the person that does not look like them. And somebody in the congregation says, you know what? You're teaching critical race theory. That's what you're doing. Uh, some, somebody gets upset because uh, it sounds like liberalism, but really it's just Jesusism. And so what happens is that people start aligning themselves against uh, not just pastors, but um, uh, church elders, and there's church splits. And there's this, there's this anger that's erupting inside of the local church. And I just got to say, I praise God that we haven't really experienced that almost at all here. And I've been kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop, thinking like, I mean, what's, what's going to happen here? Knock on aluminum, right? I, I, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm hoping that doesn't take place. I'm hoping that we can all just say, hey, there's, there's this hard right element in our world, and there's this hard left. And then, like, what does Jesus have to say about this? But there's this great fear. There's this anxiety that's coming up over all of the things, over all of our political positions. 
There's this great fear and anxiety over the things that are happening with natural disasters, whether it's fires or tornadoes or uh, tsunamis or earthquakes or what have you. Like all of this stuff is happening. And there, I, I think that there's this growing fear, there's this growing anxiety and I think, I think that the statistics prove that, that there's more and more anxiety among people and there's, there's this fear because every single day we are bombarded with a 24-7 news cycle that says you are under threat. Your liberties are under threat. This people group is under threat. Your life, your existence, your everything is under threat and you are about to lose your life unless you do something, unless you get angry. Like that bumper sticker that says, if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. That's, that's what everyone wants us to believe is that there's gotta be fear and there's gotta be anxiety and there's gotta be anger and there's gotta be frustration and there has got to be discord in our world. And Jesus has something else for us. This, this section of Luke we've called Real Jesus, Examining Christ in Luke's Gospel. What we, what we really want to get after is like, there's this idea of who we think Jesus is, but then there's this reality of who Jesus actually is. There's this idea of these uh, hard right-leaning churches or church people that say, this is who Jesus is. He would support these political things or these hard left people that are saying, this is who Jesus is. This is what he would support. But the truth is that Jesus doesn't fit into our political categories. And this sermon really wasn't supposed to, to be and isn't about politics. What it is about is that it is about Jesus. And the most pertinent thing that we can see in this is that he speaks in a different way. And I, and I long for us to get this. I deeply desire for us to get this because I'm sitting here and I'm going, what, what are we up against here? What's going to happen? What's going to be the thing that implodes in the middle of outward church and all of a sudden all of us are just separated and we're upset? Is it going to be over the color of the carpet? You know, back in the kids' area, we bought like uh, seconds carpet, and all of those seconds, they mixed up the carpet tiles, and you bought it like that. I think we got it for a buck a square foot. So everybody has a square in there that they can enjoy, right? It's, it's, it's all different. So that can't be the fight, all right? We have different colors of paint all over. That can't be the fight. And it can't really be about those kinds of things. But what is it going to be? What's going to be the thing that separates us? What's going to be the thing that brings disunity? Jesus has something to say about what's happening in our world and about what's taking place here. And we can be unified in something that brings us to a place of greater understanding, that brings us to a place of peace, that brings us to a place of joy, that brings us to a place of longing and waiting. If you look at this passage with me, what we have here is basically an insight for living the normal Christian life in tumultuous times. It's insights into living as a Christian, even in the midst 
of everything falling apart. It's talking about the destruction of the temple. The temple, uh, the Jewish temple that is in uh, Jerusalem there. And Jesus is, is sitting there and he's talking with this, his disciples. And it says in verse 5, And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Now, that statement alone seems absolutely impossible. It's taken at least 46 years for this temple to be remodeled, to be upgraded, to have plates of gold. There are historians that say when you approach the temple from a long ways away, it looked like a snowy mountain because of the glare coming off of it because of the gold that was on the outside of it. These stones that built this, this temple apparently were 12 foot high and I don't, uh, many feet, well, I can't remember the number, how many feet wide they were, but they were massive, massive stones. And for somebody to think like someone's going to come in and destroy this and tear this down is unthinkable. It's unthinkable because, first of all, it's so enormous. It's massive. But Jesus says, this is all coming down. It is all going to burn. And what's happening here? Well, judgment is taking place. See, what happened with the nation of Israel, God had created this nation. He is its father. And that nation continually turned away from God and they went towards paganism. They constantly went towards paganism. And so horrific things like child sacrifice and prostitution involved in the midst of religion and uh, you know, sacrificing on the high places and, and all of these uh, terrible, terrible things that had happened. They had constantly go gone towards paganism, which, which in our day would be more like a, a leftism. But today what had happened was that these people had gone so hard right. They had gone so hard right and even though they were claiming that they had relationship with God, and even though they were claiming that they were God's people, what was really taking place is that these people were outside of what God wanted. These people were leading people astray. They were so hard right. There were such immense amounts of legalism and works-based religion, which was man's effort to get to God, and what happened was this, is that God finally says, enough is enough. I'm going to judge them for this. I'm going to judge those people. And Jesus says, there's, there's going to come a day when there's not going to be one stone left upon another. And it says, and they asked him, teacher, when will these things be and what will be the sign? They're like, when's this going to happen? Because I want to get out of town. And what, what, how, what, what's going to tell us that this is taking place? In another place, Jesus says, no one knows the day or the hour, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. So one thing that we need to understand from this is that when people begin to tell us, hey, here's the sign of the times. See, what's really characteristic uh, today of um, some craziness that's going on in Christianity is when people are looking at the book of Revelation, 
when they're looking at these apocalyptic passages where Jesus speaks and they say, oh, yeah, Russia is this and China is that and the U.S. is, is this and, and this, this uh, scorpion is actually a helicopter and this is uh, that and this is the other thing. And it's, it's just craziness. It's just absolute craziness. And people try to predict when the end is going to be or when it's, it's going to happen. And Jesus says, no one knows the day or the hour. And so he says, he says this, see that you are not led astray for many will come in my name saying, I am he and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. He says, it's really quite possible that you could be misled by somebody who says, I'm the Messiah, or I know what's gonna happen. I know what's gonna take place. This is how it's gonna, this is how it's gonna happen. This means that, that, that means this, and that's, that's gonna take place here, right here and right now, and I'm estimating that, that it's this many years. Or if this guy doesn't get into office, that is going to signal the end of the world as we know it. Or if this guy does get into office, that's going to be the end. Don't fall for it. Don't be a gullible Christian. And there are many of them believing conspiracy theories, believing whatever they read on the internet, that type of stuff. Be wary of that. Know your Bible more than you know the news. Know what your Bible says more than anything else. One of the key passages in this, in this uh, section is this. Verse 31. Is that the right one? No, it's not. Yeah. What should we, okay, there we go. Verse 28. It says, now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. That same verse in the King James Version, which is the Old English Version, says this, and when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. What this, what this is going to tell us is this, is that our responsibility as Christians is this, is to look up and, and see that all of the things that are taking place mean something, and they mean this, that our redemption is coming. To look up, instead of looking down and looking and staying glued to my phone, and oh no, this is happening. Oh no, that is happening. Oh my, he just lost his job. Oh my, he just, uh, he just got a job. Oh my goodness, like this is, this is taking place, that's taking place. Instead of looking down, and I think maybe Jesus had in mind, looking down at your phone, like, don't look down at your phone. Look up and see that your redemption draweth nigh. It's coming near. Look up. And so let's look at it in that way. Back at verse, uh, verse 9, it says, And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place but the end will not be at once. So the first thing is this. Look up in the midst of disaster. Look up in the midst of the disasters that we experience and understand this. These things have to take place. These things are going to take place. 
They're going to continue to take place. And all of our efforts, I'm not saying that we shouldn't take care of our planet. I'm not saying that we shouldn't try to end poverty. I'm not saying that we shouldn't try to stop racism. I'm not saying that we shouldn't try any of those things. But understand this. Those things are going to continue to happen. Disasters must first take place. But the end isn't yet. But it's not here yet. That's, it's going to happen, but it's not here yet. And so what does he want you to know? He wants you to know this. He wants you to look up because Romans 8, 28 says that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We can look around and we can see all of the things that are taking place and we can go, man, I, I believe what the word of God says and that is that everything works together uh, for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Look up in the midst of disaster. Look up in the midst of disaster and just go, he has told me that everything that happens in my life is for my good. And you could say, you can look into your life and you can say, mm -hmm, uh, Pastor Matt, you have no idea what I went through as a child. I was severely abused. And I would say, I'm angry for you. I'm angry with you. I'm angry about it. I will, you tell me your story and I'll probably cry. I'm, I, I'll weep with you. But here's the thing, if, if Jesus isn't going to return and correct all the wrongs, if Jesus isn't going to return and make everything right, then you have no hope. And that time in your life, that circumstance, what was done to you, what you did was for nothing. Jesus says this. He says to them, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Look up in the midst of war. There will be great earthquakes and in various places, famines and pestilences, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. Look up in the midst of natural disasters. He says, but before all this, they'll lay their hands on you and persecute you and deliver you up to synagogues and prisons, and you'll be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. He says, look up in the midst of persecution. He tells his disciples to look up in the midst of betrayal, verse 16. People are going to turn against you, your own family, your friends. See, he's talking to the Jews in his day, these Jewish Christians who are followers of Jesus. And he's saying this is what's going to happen, but it is a faint picture of what will happen before his second coming. It, it informs us about his second coming. And he says this, look up because, verse 13, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. This is going to be your opportunity to speak about me. This is going to be your opportunity to, to speak about, like, hey, we don't have to have fear in the midst of all of this. I don't have to run around with my hair on fire because someone just got elected and they're ultimately gonna lead towards 
Another step closer towards persecution, even though I don't think we experience persecution here, not on any level compared to what persecution has been over the centuries. You can look up because this is your opportunity to bear witness. And he says, settle it therefore in your minds, verse 14, not to meditate beforehand how to answer. Your job is this, is just to say, man, I'm looking forward to, I'm looking up to the return of Christ. I'm looking forward to the things that are gonna happen because of this. I'm gonna have an opportunity to speak about this God, about this Jesus. Because everyone else is gonna be sitting in this place of just going, I don't know what to do, man. I don't know what to do. I thought I could control it. I thought I, thought I could make the world stop having natural disasters by recycling. I, thought, I really thought I could do it. I thought I could end racism by doing this. I thought I could end abortion by doing that. He says, look up in the midst of disaster. This is an immense opportunity for you to be able to speak my name. And I want you to settle it in your minds, not to think about how you're gonna do that at that time. Your job is to just look forward. He says, I'm gonna give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. He says in verse 17, you're going to be hated for my name's sake, but not a hair on your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. And that is eternal life you're going to gain. So then he tells, foretells the destruction of, of Jerusalem in 70 AD. We're not going to spend a, a lot of time on that. But historically speaking, you can look back and you can see that these are... That, Th these things happened. Eusebius uh, 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 records that Christians gave heed to the warning that Jesus had given. And he talks about how the Christians went out. They left the city. They went out of the city. They didn't stay there and try to defend the temple. They left there. They weren't harmed. But all of these Jewish people, and I believe that the number is uh, 1,100,000 it is estimated uh, Jews were killed in that siege of Jerusalem in 70 AD. And Jesus is telling them, I don't want you to sit here and be freaked out over what's going to happen. These things must take place. The second thing he says is he, he says, uh, look up. Look up because when you see all these things taking place, it is a sign of things to come. It's a sign that, 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 there, that there is good things that are, that are about to take place. It's a sign that your redemption is coming. See, you can't live a true Christian life without longing for the final redemption, without longing for this, without desiring it. And so he says, and there will be signs, verse 25, and there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and of the waves. 
You see how this is kind of going back and forth in between, like, we're talking about Jerusalem a little bit, but then we're talking about the end of the world, end times. We're kind of going back and forth, and he's saying, people are going to be in disarray. They're going to be in this place of, verse 26, fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. What's happening today in all of the fearful events that we're experiencing is, is, is just a pebble compared with the amount of pain and suffering and distress that's going to happen. This is saying people fainting with fear, with foreboding of what is coming on the world. And I just got to say, is that not happening today? Are we not experiencing kind of this fainting with fear, this foreboding over, over what's going to happen? I watched a news conference yesterday with the new, uh, about the new Omicron uh, uh, variant, and now the, the numbers look like they're going to rise again, and I'm, I'm not making a judgment on that, but I'm just saying that it, all it takes is a little virus for people to get absolutely freaked out, something that you cannot even see with the naked eye. Imagine what it's going to look like when there is real, visible distress. When nations who thought they knew the best way to make things happen are in perplexity. People are fainting with fear. The powers of heaven are shaken, it says. Verse 27, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. What's that mean? God in the Old Testament led his people in a, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire at night. It shows the glory of God. It shows who he is. And it says Jesus is going to come back on a cloud. He's going to return on a cloud. And I, I just wonder, how are people going to look at this? What are they going to see? Are they going to be like, oh my gosh, there's this being. He's coming down in this cloud of thing. And it's, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's absolutely nuts. Our world is coming apart. And this is taking place now. And he says this, now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. I want you to look up because it's a sign of things to come. Christians, what are you fearful about? What is driving you to do what you do? To vote the way that you vote? To say what you say? Is, is it driven by this confidence? Is it driven by a confidence of Oh man, I just feel like we're one day closer to Jesus returning. Because that is going to be awesome. Like everything that I've longed for and looked for is in Jesus. 
See, it not only means that there should be this absence of fear, like Spurgeon says. He says there should be this presence of this inward peace. There should be this presence of joy. There should be this presence of anticipation. There should be this presence of what's what's happening next. I'm looking forward to it. It's look up and see this. Man, I, I know so many pastors in ministry that day in and day out is filled with just suffering because of somebody who left their church and suffering because somebody sent them this dumb email criticizing what their position on the pandemic is or on masking or whatever, not realizing that there are hundreds of people in their church or that say that they go to their church, not realizing that it just doesn't even matter anymore. Like people have differences of of opinions. And what's the worst part about it is that the pastor believes it. I am a bad pastor. I am somebody who, I I don't lead well. Man, this person left and that person left. My church shrunk and I don't have as much money now because people didn't come back after the pandemic or they moved away to something else or they went to a different church because they are wearing masks or they aren't wearing masks or whatever. But what this says, and it's not just hope for pastors, but it's hope for Christians to say that come hell or high water, come tornado, come pandemic, come bad government, come good government, come any of those things, it doesn't matter. Because I get to have joy in Jesus because he is returning. To judge the living and the dead. You might have clapped too soon. (laughs) He's returning as the judge. And he came as this helpless baby the first time. And he is returning in power. And he is going to right every wrong. And he is going to wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more crying and there will be no more pain. And there will be no more suffering. And so how do you look at these things? Look up, it's a sign to come is my point. He tells him a parable. Let me tell you a story, Jesus says. You know how when you're looking at a tree? He says, look at the fig tree in verse 29. And all the trees, for that matter, as soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and you know that the summer is already near. Oh, man. I got to tell you, I don't know how I lasted in this God-forsaken area. I love Oregon. Don't get me wrong. But I moved. Oh, I've got a microphone there. All right. I moved from the Florida Keys when I was 12 years old. To here. My dad was a pastor in Florida. He got called to take a church about a block away from here, First Baptist in Salem. 
1989, I moved here in the middle of my junior year, uh, or not my junior year, junior high. I was seventh grade. Great time to move and try to make new friends, by the way, right? Move to this school. I move out of a school where I'm, I'm a, a big fish in a little pond because my dad's a pastor. He's the one that started the school. I move here. Nobody likes me. I, I mean, it's a completely different school. It rains constantly, drizzles. It's horrible. I hated it. I couldn't believe how much I hated it. I used to write notes to myself. I'm the only person that knew me at that time. I, I hate Oregon. I really don't want to be here. This place stinks. I don't like it. I really, 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 really don't like it. I did not like it. But you know what? I love spring. I love spring. Because you start seeing the trees come out and there's leaves coming out. Things start to bloom. And I just, oh man, I just, all of this like tension and just, ah, oh, I just feel lazy during the winter. I don't want to be outside. I used to work construction and I hated wintertime, hate rain gear. Oh, but man, when you start to see the leaves come out, you just go, oh man, it's coming. It's coming. I can't, I can't wait. I love hot summer days. In fact, the hotter they get, the better. I love it when it's super hot. Love it. Jesus is saying this. He says, when you see these things take place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Jesus says, I want you to think about it when you're coming out of a cold, dark winter in the middle of Salem, Oregon, and I want you to think about when spring starts to turn and your mood starts to change, and I want you to be like, yeah, it's coming. It's coming. We're, we're, get, we're gonna have some fun. This is gonna be, this is gonna be blessed. Jesus is saying, I want you to look at a pandemic that way. I want you to look at wars and tumults and uh, bad government and good government and whatever it is that you think. And I want you to look at that and I want you to say, man, spring is almost here. I'm looking forward to the summer because the judge, when he returns, brings summer. The judge brings new growth. The judge is the one who brings this incredible peace. See, Christians, look up. Have joy. Live with an inward peace, which you cannot have unless you believe that Jesus is returning and it's better than your 401k. And it's better than the house you just bought. And it's better than watching your kid walk down the aisle. And it's better than anything. Jesus is better. Last thing is look up and see the one who is to come. He says, watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, verse 34, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. I think most Christians today, if Jesus were to return right now, it would, it would, we are drunk with politics. We, we might be literally drunk. We are drunk with 
American values, American freedom, American way of life. We are drunk with all of those things. We're drunk with a fake Christianity. I think most people that claim to be Christians today are not actually Christians. They like morals. They like the idea of God, but they have never submitted themselves to God and trusted him as their savior. They still trust their wealth. They still trust their abilities. They still trust themselves. He says, don't be weighed down with that. For this is going to come on everyone who dwells on the face of the whole earth. But he says, stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And let me just briefly say this. The only way that you stand when the great judge returns, the only way that you can see all of the things that are happening in our world as being an opportunity to look ahead, to look up and to see my redemption draweth nigh. To look ahead and say, summer's coming. Because the judge is coming. The only way that you can look forward to that is by understanding that you have a judge that died for you. See, the judge gave his life so that you could withstand his judgment. The judge gave his life so that you don't have to live in inward turmoil. The judge gave his life so that you don't have to have another savior of politics, of success, of family, of of that. He gave his life so that you can have relationship with him and that all of these other efforts can go by the wayside so that you don't have to worry when the sky falls, when the stock market falls, when the oceans come up, when the sun goes down, in the midst of winter, in the midst of that cold darkness, you get to say, my king is coming. My king who was crucified for me. He gave his life for me so that when he comes back to judge, I will only be seen as righteous in the eyes of this righteous judge. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, now is the time, today is the day to submit to him, to say to him, I want to give my life to you. I want to be your disciple. I submit my life, my desires, my longings to you. I want to have that sense of joy and inward peace and anticipation of your return. Now is the time. And I really want to talk to you about that. Can we invite the uh, uh, ushers forward with uh, communion? In just a moment, I'll ask you to Hop up so that you can uh, grab communion and we'll partake together. We have the opportunity 
as every time we come together to rejoice over Jesus the Son giving his life for our sake. So I want to invite you to bow your heads, close your eyes. And I think Jesus wants you to understand something. That he loves you so immensely that he was willing to go to the cross for you. But he, he also knows this, and that is that we as humans need reminders of why we need him why we need his salvation. And so he gave us this, this little ritual, which when it turns into a ritual, is just worthless. But if it's our heart's cry, it can be very encouraging. And so Jesus wants you to look at this little cracker, this bread, and he wants you to see it as his body that was given for you. And so would you take a moment and would you, would you just confess the stuff that needs to be confessed, the sins that you have in your life? Lord Jesus, I drop the ball in this area. Lord Jesus, I struggle in this area. Lord Jesus, I'm, if anybody knew what I'm doing right now, if the pastor knew what I'm doing, he'd probably really condemn me. Lord Jesus, please forgive me. Jesus is saying to you this morning, look up. Look up and see me on the cross. Look up and see that I gave everything for you. This is my body that was broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the body. He says, look up. This is my blood that's streaming down my face coming out my hands and my, my feet. Sorrow and blood flow mingled down. This is my blood which was given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of that. Thank you, Jesus, for your cross. May we long for your second coming more and we long for this life. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's continue.